Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hey, we're just going to read this passage this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, second sermon in the series on marriage and family. Let's read it together, pray together, and then we'll get started. This is the Word of God. God says these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk in the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of God. Hey, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we have come here to worship you and we acknowledge that one part of that worship is just hearing from you. And it's from hearing from your scriptures and being taught by you. And God, we pray as uh, the Psalms do, that our soul longs and faints for your presence, for the courts of the Lord, that our heart and our flesh sing for joy to the living God. God, we pray that that would be true of us, that we would long to hear from you, that we would long from your word, that we would, God, faint if we don't receive this good word from you this morning. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. Well, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to have you with us this morning. Uh, and we are this morning talking about a topic that is really special to me personally. Uh, it's the topic of family discipleship. And we are in our second week on a series of uh, marriage and family. And we have to acknowledge uh, the order of these sermons are a little bit out of order. Ideally, we would have talked two weeks on marriage, then one week about family, and then one week about family discipleship. But as JP acknowledged a little bit earlier, parents are coming back from vacation, students are getting started back in school. And so for that reason, we felt like this was really an opportune time for us to talk about this specifically today. Because as a staff and as elders, we've been talking about changes now for close to six months about how we can intentionally disciple our children and how we can intentionally bring them up uh, as disciples of Jesus. And so when we're talking about family discipleship, just very briefly, all I mean by that is teaching and living out for our children what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus. That's simply what family discipleship means. And before we begin in our teaching, look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, we have to recognize that we are all disciples of something. We are all being shaped, formed, and instructed by someone or something. And when you think of children today, children today are instructed and shaped by countless things. So you think of children, they're shaped, they're instructed by their teachers, by their peers, by coaches, by social media, by technology, by movies, by music. And that's because someone or something is discipling you and your children. Everyone, everyone is being discipled. And all of these things, no matter what they are, they are communicating and teaching children about vital, very important, life-giving or life-altering truths. After all, think about Disney. I have a reputation of not liking Disney for some reason. I mentioned Disney a lot in sermons, uh, usually in a bad vein. I Just as a caveat, I love Disney. We watch a lot of Disney movies at our house. But when you think intentionally about Disney movies, you have to acknowledge Disney is teaching us 
very important truths about the world. Disney is trying to communicate what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is evil. I grew up in the MTV generation, and I can say for a fact that MTV communicated how I was supposed to think about myself, what my purpose in life should be. It communicated how I should treat other people, how I should look at and view other people as well. And that's really because as creatures, as human beings, we are what Aristotle called social animals. And he called us social animals because he really realized this profound fact that as humans, we are influenced and we are instructed by things outside of ourselves. So that means the people that we live with, the things that we watch, the books that we read, the music we listen to, the society that we find ourselves in, all of these factors influence and shape us in consequential ways. Now, growing up, I had really great parents. My parents were uh, actually uh, very nurturing, very loving. I learned a lot from them. I learned how to bowl from them, how to play baseball from them. Um, They loved me. They cared for me. They taught me about hard work, about discipline, about respecting elders and people who are older than me. My mom had a lot of sayings that still stay with me and I use in my uh, instruction of my children today. She used to say, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. I like that one. I still remember songs that my mom sang to me before I went to bed. There was this song from the Lawrence Welk Show in 1977 that my mom used to sing. I'm not going to sing it for you. You can, go, you can go and look it up. But outside my parents, right, there were other influences as well. So alongside my parents, who did a phenomenal job instructing me and teaching me many good things, there were three things in particular I can say were main influences on my life. The three S's, The Simpsons, Seinfeld, and Sports. And they really did. They shaped me. They, they made me into the person I am today. The Simpsons, uh, I, I say this not jokingly, the Simpsons shaped my view of God up until I was about 20 years old. My, my understanding of God was shaped by Ned Flanders and pictures of God as portrayed in the Simpsons because I didn't grow up in a church, so I didn't have any real example of what God was like. Seinfeld taught me a lot about human nature, so I kind of grew up with a little bit of a cynical view about human nature and thought a lot of things were ironic. Sports taught me a lot about what was important, about, you know, how I should live out my life, how I should discipline myself. And add on top of that, and now we're thinking about children today, right? Add on top of that now, out of all these different influences, add on top of that a layer of social media and technology. I looked up these statistics this week. The average time on social media for an American teenager today is two hours and 20 minutes a day. The American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry found that children ages 8 to 12 in the United States spend four to six hours a day watching or using screens. And then when you move into the teenage bracket, that time spent on screens bumps up to nine hours a day on average. So here's what I want you to think. This is just helpful for us who have families, who are parents, or for children you here today, it is helpful for us to know that we are, we are being discipled by something or someone. And the question we have to ask is, where do we want to be discipled and who do we want to be discipled by? That's the real question for us this morning. And even as I say that, I realize there are a lot of us here 
this morning. Maybe you are not in a relationship. Maybe you're not married. Maybe you don't have children. And I know that sometimes when you hear sermons like this, you can feel very isolated. Or you can feel like we're not speaking to you directly, necessarily. And I just want to acknowledge that we hear you. We understand that. Our intent in teaching about marriage and family is not to somehow make people who are married or have children somehow spiritually superior. That's not the intent. Or to communicate that if you're not married or don't have children, then these sermons somehow don't apply to you, that they're irrelevant and kind of unnecessary. I want to speak specifically to you this morning, and I want you to understand that what the Bible says is that all of Scripture is breathed out by God, and all of it is profitable. All of it. So what that can mean, if you are here and maybe you're not married, you don't have children... What this can maybe mean for you is to just think intentionally about how you can pray for families that you know, or how maybe you can pray for children that you know, or consider how important discipleship of children is, and maybe consider volunteering in children's ministry, or somehow intentionally engaging in relationship in small group with people who have families and people who do have children. So I want to make sure you know that we're not preaching this series to exclude or alienate you if you find yourself without children, if you happen to be single or don't have children, but to help families as well as all of us grapple with what we can do to help the whole body of Jesus, including children, flourish and grow in our faith. So with that, here's what I want to do this morning. This morning I want to do just a few things, three brief things. The first thing I want to do is kind of lay a foundation of what we mean by family discipleship. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to lay a foundation and just ask the question, what do we mean by family discipleship? Second thing is, how do we start it? How do we start intentionally discipling our children, and how do we engage in it? And then lastly, I want to communicate three things that we're going to be doing as a church moving forward in order to really assist families in family discipleship. So what do we mean by family discipleship? Let's lay that foundation here really quick. And you have these two terms, okay? Family discipleship. I'm going to start with discipleship, so start in reverse order. To begin, the reason we're interested in discipleship as a church is because Jesus was interested in discipleship. And that might sound really, well, of course Jesus was interested in discipleship, but I want to read this passage from Matthew 28. Jesus, this is the end of Matthew, the end of Matthew's gospel. Jesus has already died on the cross. He's already been resurrected from the dead. And he's leaving parting instructions to his closest followers. And he gives them a mission. He actually gives them a commission, what's called the Great Commission. And here's how he sums it up Jesus came to them, that's his disciples. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So notice two things that Jesus mentions here that I think are really important. First, notice Jesus mentions here that all authority has been given to him. That means he is the one who rules all of creation. He is the one who has all authority from God. He is the one who controls every single thing in the world. And his instruction to his disciples, with all authority, 
is not to go and take over the Roman Empire. It's not to transform culture. It's not to do anything by our standards that we would say is really meaningful and consequential. No, he says it's very simple. His instruction to his followers is to make disciples. So Jesus is very, very interested in this idea of discipleship, so much so that he says, as the one with all authority in heaven and on earth, this is what he wants his followers to do. So, what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, very simply, simply, disciple just means student or learner. It means student or learner. And today, when we hear that term, student or learner, we can kind of think of like a freshman in college, right? A freshman in college who's going to Philosophy 101, and they go to Philosophy 101, and they go there and sit in that classroom in order to be instructed to by a professor. And they pay $35,000 a year in order to have somebody, right, give them intellectual instruction, hoping that they will get credentials in order to advance in a career. That's what we usually think about when we think about a student or a learner. But you have to realize, in the ancient world, that was a little bit different. In the ancient world, to be a disciple, to be a student, looked different. In fact, it looked a lot more comprehensive. Instead of being uh, just instructed intellectually in their mind, a disciple of someone would usually follow their teacher around. They would watch their teacher and look at their pattern of life as well as their teaching, and they would comprehensively try and follow this example and this model that their teacher was giving them. So it was a much more comprehensive model. A a very modern parallel, you can think about this, would be much more like an apprentice today. So if you wanted to be a carpenter or you wanted to be a plumber, Sometimes you would just take on an apprenticeship. You would go and you would work with that plumber. You'd work with that carpenter. You'd learn the skills. You'd be instructed by them so that you could take on that craft yourself. And so during the time of Jesus, many people were disciples of particular teachers. They would shadow them. They would follow them. John the Baptist, we read about him early on in the New Testament. He was considered this great prophet from God. John the Baptist, we're told, had disciples, people who closely followed his life and teaching. Paul, in the Bible, as he was growing up, we're told that he was a disciple of this man named Gamaliel, a renowned teacher of the Old Testament law. He was a rabbi in the first century, and Paul was his disciple. So when we're talking about discipleship, when Jesus is calling, calling his followers to discipleship, Jesus is calling us to follow his life, and teaching. He's calling us to be his apprentice. He's calling us to be instructed by students of and learners of his way of life and his teaching. And what this means, very practically, is Jesus wants us to believe and know the things Jesus would have us believe and know. It means We would want to live as Jesus would have us to live. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what discipleship is all about. And so the question we're left with is, when it comes to family discipleship, right? We've talked about discipleship. What do we mean by family discipleship? And what we're getting at there is what the Bible makes clear, is that the primary people who are supposed to be discipling children are parents. Parents... According to the Bible, parents, you are the primary disciplers of your children. And this is a real challenge to our society 
because we can find it far too easy as parents, and I face this temptation all the time, we can find it very easy as parents to outsource our discipleship of our children to somebody else. And to send our children to teachers, to counselors, to coaches, to tutors, to youth pastors, church volunteers, or sometimes other family members, or just the church generally, and we allow those people to be the primary disciplers of our children. But there is a drawback to that. Here's what I want you to hear. The Bible shows us clearly that when it comes to discipling children, Teachers, counselors, coaches, pastors, the church, all of these play an important, a instrumental, and a significant role in discipleship, but the primary role belongs to parents. The lead role in discipling children falls on mom and dad. And that most obvious place that we see this is in the passage that we began with, Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? And just a little bit of context before we jump into this again. Moses has led the people of God out of Egypt. They were in slavery in Egypt. They've been wandering throughout the desert. And as Moses is about to part and he's about to hand off his responsibilities to this man named Joshua, Moses regathers the people of Israel to remind them of the important truths that God had communicated to them. Truths about who God was, truths about what God wanted when they moved into the promised land, the people of Israel. Truths about how they were supposed to live out their life in the midst of a world that didn't follow God. And so Moses comes and he's summarizing what God had said and he gives them these words. He says, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. So notice what Moses does here. He starts very general, right? He starts with all of Israel. Hear, O Israel, everyone. Hear, O Israel, here is who God is. The Lord is one. The Lord is God. The Lord is one. Here are God's commands, the most important commands that he gives to you. Here are all of his testimonies. Here's God's story. And he says to Israel, learn these, know these, love these things. And then after going from all of Israel, he moves specifically to parents. He narrows to the role of mom and dad. He says, parents, you shall teach these things diligently to your children. Talk of them when you lie down, when you rise up. Speak of them when you're in the house or on your commute. That leading role in discipleship of discipling children is given by God to parents. So basketball fans, you think of, you know, the 1990s Chicago Bulls, okay, Now, everyone knows on the Chicago Bulls, there are great supporting players. Dennis Rodman, great supporting player, right? Can rebound anything. 30 rebounds a night. Scottie Pippen, all-star every single year. Great passer, great assister, great secondary player. But who is the main actor on the floor? It's MJ. Michael Jordan, right? Now, Scottie Pippen might be A2, right? He, on, on a lot of other teams, he could be number one. But on the Bulls, he is A2, and Michael Jordan is A1. 
And parents, you have the A1 position. You are Michael Jordan in your family unit, and you have the lead role in discipling your children. And as we see in the Bible, the reason that God has given this is because this is God's original design. So we look at God's original design last week for marriage. Remember last week in marriage, God had this original design. One man, one woman, living out God's design and pattern for marriage. Both submitting to Christ, a, a husband loving and serving his wife, laying down his life for his wife, and the wife respecting and obeying the husband. When that pattern is followed, marriages flourish. And the same here with God's design for families. One man, one woman, father and mother, leading their families, loving their children, discipling their children to follow, love, and know Jesus. And now, as soon as I say that, I also realize that we live in a broken world. That we live in a world that is touched by and tainted by sin. And these designs that God has put in place have been disrupted because of sin. Not all families have one father and one mother who are both following the Lord, who are jointly investing in the discipling of their children. We have many people, even in this church, and we want this church to be this kind of place. Many people here are widows who have lost their spouse. Many here are going through currently or have gone through in the past a painful divorce. Many here have a spouse who doesn't yet believe in Jesus. So even though this design, right, has been disrupted by sin, what we need to hear as parents who want to honestly and intentionally disciple our children is that this is our role. We have the A1 position. We are Michael Jordan in discipling our children. Also, I realize that the Michael Jordan analogy falls short as well. Second analogy, God is the one who brings the growth of our children. Everything that we do as parents... All of our faithfulness, all of our effort, all of our conversation, all of our prayers, all of that is dependent on God being gracious to us, giving our children grace and using those things that we do disciple our children with to bring about actual life change and transformation. But that's our foundation, right? Family discipleship looks like families together taking on the mind and life of Jesus and intentionally instructing children. And so the second thing that we have to talk about, and uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 points this out extremely well, is, well, how do we start family discipleship? Where do we even begin? Because if you really want to engage in this, this is very important. And we see this in verse 4 and 6 again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now notice here that discipling children doesn't start with children. Do you realize that? If you begin by asking, okay, we just had, you know, little Sarah, right? And you're asking, how do I take little Sarah and I want her to follow Jesus? The question shouldn't be, how do I do that? The question should be, first, am I following Jesus? Am I being discipled? Am I a disciple of Jesus? And am I engaging 
in loving him with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength? Am I putting the words of God on my heart and seeking to be instructed by God day by day? And you see that order of priority here, right? In verses four through six, if you have this before you, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And he says, these commandments today shall be on your heart. So these two shalls are the first thing that we have to take into consideration. Am I being discipled by Jesus first? My family and I, uh, actually just Hannah and I, we had this weekend to ourselves last weekend. We flew back to Nashville and I was officiating a wedding of one of the former youth students that I had. And, you know, right before the plane is taking off, regular thing happens, right? The the um, flight attendant goes out into the middle of the row and they're giving the whole spiel about how to be safe just in case you fall in water or everything even though you're flying over land. But they're giving the whole spiel and you know it all by, by heart, right? When the oxygen masks fall, you're supposed to put that oxygen mask as a parent, right, on first before you assist your children. Everybody knows that, right? If you don't, I look this up. Here's what happens. It's this thing called hypoxia. See, if you get a loss of oxygen in your body, your body starts to experience all these adverse side effects, things like tunnel vision and brain fog and disorientation and disillusionment. And actually, if your oxygen level drops below 60, you can die in an instant. So when those oxygen masks fall, we all know that we're supposed to put on that oxygen mask first. Otherwise, it puts not only us, but our children at risk as well. And that same priority holds true for family discipleship. When it comes to discipling our, fa- our families, we have to first ask these questions, questions like, is my devotion to God with my heart and soul and might? Am I regularly putting God's word onto my heart? Are his commandments on my heart? Am I cherishing those words? Am I prioritizing worshiping God on a regular basis? Or are there other priorities that take precedence over worship? Am I seeking to pattern my life after God's ways? Am I trying to learn about God and believe what God believes? Am I confessing my sins to God? Am I seeking to be in relationship with other people who can hold me accountable and ask me intentional questions about my walk with Jesus? I was a youth pastor for a number of years in Nashville, and I had this conversation at least two or three times where a parent would come to my office and they were really worried about their kid. This would usually be somebody who was about 11th grade or 12th grade, junior or senior in high school, or once they've gone off into college. Usually it was people who came uh, and had their students go off into college. And they would come and they'd be very concerned. They'd say, you know, my son is so much more interested in college football than spiritual things. And part of this, by the way, is just being 19 years old. (laughs) There's nothing you can do about this. Or they'd say, you know, my son isn't going to church. My son isn't involved in the campus ministry like he said he was going to be. Why isn't he doing these things? Why doesn't he seem to take following God seriously? Why are his priorities out of whack? Why are his beliefs drifting? And usually in those conversations, what started out as a discussion about their son and his faith and his priorities and his beliefs, usually it started out talking about them. But in the end, it would start out or it would end in being a conversation about the parents' faith, their priorities, their beliefs. Because what we see here in Deuteronomy is this order of priority, that the word of God's commandments must be on our heart before we can teach them to our children. 
Before we can expect our children to grasp them, we have to grasp them ourselves. And now, that's an entire sermon on its own right. I'm going to leave that one to Dwayne. Because i got to continue. Here's the point, though. we got to put the mask on first. Parents, if you aren't following Jesus intentionally, it's going to be very hard for you to expect your children to follow Jesus intentionally. So how do we engage this with discipling our children? Well, Deuteronomy tells us after, right, we make ourselves a priority, it then goes on to say, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So two things that uh, Moses is pointing out here, we have to teach these things diligently and regularly. Diligently and regularly. So God's truth, his word, his way should be actively taught by parents to their children. And it's at this point that this is going to look a little bit different for every single family, right? Because all of our rhythms as families, all of our habits as families, they all take on a little bit of a different shape or form. So I'll just share a little bit about what my family does in this vein. So for instance, breakfast time is a very good time for us. We're all early morning risers. Uh, My son Eli wakes up at around 5. I wake up shortly after at about 5.15. My wife wakes up about 30 minutes after that, about 5.45, and the twins usually sleep till sometime around noon. But (laughs) They, they join in for the, the bedtime routine. Uh, but for breakfast, when we're all sitting down at the table, all we do is simply just ask the question of, hey, what's coming up in our day? Oh, well, we're going to the pool today, or school's starting this week, and we just spend one minute praying intentionally of thanking God for the food that's before us and praying intentionally about what's coming in, in front of us for the day. And then as my kids are eating, I just start because I know that if I do this after they eat, this is something that I've learned, I've done this wrong for many, many years, I start right as they eat because then they're a little bit more engaged. But right as they start to eat, I just read a very short section or very short chapter of the Bible. That's it. So right now we're going through the book of Acts. And we share five, ten verses usually out of the book of Acts just because I want that story of God's people in my children's mind. And then after the day is going and everything's a little bit crazy, when we get back together for bedtime, all we do is simply before we go to bed is we read together as a family. And we read a couple of books that my children want to read, and then we read the Bible story book that we have that's available here at the church. And this Bible story book is really great. It has intentional questions on, you know, how that passage applies to our children. And we try and engage them at their level. Sometimes it's over their head. Sometimes it's an easy question. But we ask those questions anyway. Sometimes we do this thing called catechism. A catechism is simply a question and answer back to our children. And we do this kind of whenever we have time. We, we have catechisms that are set to songs. So sometimes when we're changing babies' diapers, we're singing songs to the catechism and doing, you know, sign language to help them grasp onto it. So we'll say, you know, who made you? God. What else did God make? All things. Why did God make you in all things? For his glory. And our kids know it perfectly. these babies man running around in diapers doing catechism it makes me smile hey but your family's different and here's the point my my family rhythm my context my method might not necessarily be your method and that's okay you might be night people you might be people who have the most time after sports practice whatever the case may be you have to make it something that's a natural part of your family rhythm 
You have to do it when you lie down, when you uh, arise, when you're on the way, when you're in your house. The point is, do it regularly. Make it a rhythm. Make it a pattern of your life. And if you're just starting out of this, maybe you haven't given much attention to this, I just have to acknowledge this can be really hard sometimes. I mean, very hard. Sometimes the breakfast table, I mean, you got a baby with syrup in her eye, milk on the floor, I'm in a bad mood, and that is not the best time to say, okay, family, take out your study Bibles and open up to Nehemiah chapter (laughs) 4. I've tried that, honestly. Ask my wife. I started out terrible in this. I would say, hey, let's do a call to worship, and my wife's looking at me like, what the heck are you talking about? (laughs) Eli just threw up. So just, just hear this, alongside the diligence and the regularity, there needs to be flexibility, right? And it needs to go with your pattern of life. But you can't be under the assumption that discipling your children is going to just be completely free form and organic, and they're just going to, without any hands-on involvement of you or anyone else, that they're just going to somehow intuit how to think and to act and how to follow Jesus. It's fascinating, in fact, if you look at this passage in Deuteronomy, Immediately following the verses that we read, Moses gives this warning. He says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of the slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. By his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. So you see what's being said here, that as we're personally discipled, we personally disciple our children diligently and regularly. Why? So that we don't forget the Lord. So we don't forget the God who saved us, the God who took us from slavery, from sin, the God who should be feared and served. And it's amazing when you look at the Old Testament, that's exactly what happened to Israel. God created the whole world from nothing, all the galaxies, all the stars, all the black holes in the universe. God miraculously parted the sea. Israel saw this, by the way. They saw God miraculously part the sea. They saw him rain bread from heaven and bring water from a rock. God personally dwelt with them in this thing called the tabernacle. He gave them victory in war. He gave them a brand new land coming out of slavery. And then we see just one and two books after, we're told this refrain over and over that everyone in Israel began to do what was right in their own eyes. And instead of following and serving and worshiping God, they followed their own paths, ultimately leading to their own destruction. Uh, We are involved, uh, and we're going to talk about this a little more in about a month. We have become intimately involved with this uh, partnership of church planting in the United Kingdom. And uh, we asked some of these church planters that were in the United Kingdom how the United Kingdom had gone from being kind of the city on the hill of Christianity in the Western world to where now about roughly 9% of the population are identifying as Christians. And they looked us straight in the eye and they said, it's very simple. One generation cherished the memory, or sorry, one generation cherished the message of Jesus. The next generation assumed the message of Jesus. 
the following generation forgot the message of Jesus. And that's why we need passages like this one in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is why we need this passage to remind us you cannot assume the message of Jesus. The message of forgiveness, the message that God the Son died for our sins, resurrected to life, gives us eternal life through faith in Him alone, that message can't be assumed because what is assumed by us will be forgotten by our children. So we need to diligently, regularly, Remind ourselves, remind our children that we serve this God. We fear this God. We worship this God because this God is the only God worthy of our fear and our worship and our service. So discipleship can't be purely free form. It can't be purely organic. It can't be hands off. We can't be passive in it. And this is where ideas about discipleship can be kind of strange. You know, we can say things like, well, I don't, and I get this, and I feel this tension myself. You know, I don't want my children to feel forced, or I want them to own it for themselves. I want them to figure it out for themselves and embrace it for themselves. And I want it to be this natural thing. And there is a good impulse in that, because we want our children's faith to be sincere. But after all, parents, we intentionally teach our children things, not because we're imposing something bad on them, but because we're imposing things that are critically important and valuable. After all, we diligently and regularly have our children learn the ABCs. We are not concerned that they will think the ABCs are boring. If they do, they won't be able to do certain things when they're older. Same thing with multiplication tables and balancing checkbooks. In our house, our kids have to know how many times and in what years the Nebraska Cornhuskers won national titles. <laughs> there are some things that just cannot be left to chance. And sometimes, hey, I have, to, I have to share this too. My engagement oftentimes, and this is just mostly on me, it's my insecurity. I want my children to like me. So it can feel forced. And I often feel like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't want to push too hard. And, and that's a good impulse. But sometimes, once you get past that feeling, it's, it's led to some of the greatest conversations that my family has had around God. The other day, in fact, something felt very forced, right? We were reading the Bible storybook. My kids' attention is kind of everywhere. But one of the intentional questions was, how has God helped you in your life? And I asked uh, my daughter, Lainey, and she said, well, I can think of like three times that that's happened. And I said, okay, just mention one. And uh, she said, well, one time I was, I was thinking about sharks, and I didn't want to think about sharks, so I prayed to God that I wouldn't think about sharks, and I stopped thinking about sharks. <laughs> and I loved that. Because my daughter realizes that she can call on this God in the things that are super important to her when she's fearful, when she's anxious, when she can't sleep. That's the God I want involved in her life. And this is the last thing we have to say before we move on to the last point. It's very brief. This is not a formula either. A lot of times we can get into this habit of thinking, all right, I do X, I do Y, and I do Z, and I'm going to get this perfect outcome. My kids are going to follow Jesus. They're never going to swear at people. You know, they're going to drive perfectly. But this is not a formula. You have to realize when we engage in this, what we're doing is we're just setting down a trellis. Right? A trellis that a vine 
tomatoes or whatever plant can grow in a healthy direction. If you don't set down a trellis and you're trying to grow tomatoes, they're going to grow in every which direction. They're going to ultimately rot on the ground. In family discipleship, the growth comes from God. The fruit comes from God. We simply set down that trellis day in and day out so that our children are growing in healthy directions in their walk with Jesus. So what are we doing as a church to help you? Well, this is something that we've given a lot of thought about. We've been thinking about this, like I said, for about six months. And here's what I'm very excited about a lot of this. So if you're a family, you're listening to this, or if you know families in this church and you want to encourage them in this, then we are providing three things, three ways that we as a church want to engage in family discipleship very intentionally. The first is that we want to provide resources. So that's why I have this table up here. And as parents, we are giving out free resources to every single family in this church, and you can get them downstairs after this service. And in these resources that we have for different age groups, you'll find a parent resource, something for mom and dad to read, or just mom or just dad to read, to understand different rhythms that they can put in place. There's a children's resource, usually a Bible of some sort, and then a supplementary resource that goes into details of things like prayer, things like sacraments, things like church membership. These are the things that we want you to do with your children five minutes a day, and we want to put these in your hands so you can do it. And then these kind of resources for parents so that you can be better equipped, better instructed. And we have these for ages zero to two. We have these for ages two to five. We have these for ages second grade and third grade or kindergarten to second grade, sorry, and then second grade to fifth grade. So wherever you find yourself having children, we have resources available to you. If you're, have a parent, if you're a parent and you have a youth, we also have some downstairs as well. And you can go to the youth area and pick up uh, the youth version of one of these. is a family discipleship booklet. And this will guide you through all the steps of how to help your child reach up, reach in, reach out. Just intentional, very simple ways that you can start incorporating family discipleship as a family. So we want you to get these. Have I mentioned that they're free? So if you don't take them, we will actually send them to your house. Okay? And then if you return to sender, then I'll bring them to your house. (laughs) Small group support is the second thing that we want to offer because as great as it is to have resources, sometimes, you know, Tim said this, sometimes when it comes to family discipleship, if we didn't laugh, we would cry. And it's so true. So beginning this fall, we want to launch three family discipleship small groups, and we're doing this in an effort to come together and practice these things. So if you have a family... Get into a family discipleship small group. It's a place to share struggles, to share prayer, to share encouragement, so that you don't feel like you're stranded on a desert island. And because we think this is so important, you can sign up for these groups today. So all of the small group registrations start September 5th. We are opening these up today because we believe it's that important. So go to deercreekchurch.com groups, sign up. Sign up for one of these groups. Don't put it off. Get in one of these groups. And lastly, it's the third thing that we're doing. We're very excited about this. We are going to, as a church, change the way we structure and format our worship service. So, for instance, on Sunday mornings, what usually happens is children uh, have the opportunity. They can stay in service or they can go downstairs into children's ministry. And what we're going to be starting beginning next week is that we're going to have kids of all ages... Join us for the first half of worship. So that's from the call to worship up to the time that the sermon starts. Because 
We really believe, and we really sincerely believe this, that when we gather to worship, we are doing something that is essential to our spiritual growth and discipleship. That what we do here, gathering together as the people to God, of God, singing to God, hearing from his word, praying to God, this is the meat and potatoes of spiritual worship, so we want our kids in on it. We want them here. Because here's what we fear is that in a lot of contexts, kids can go from kind of nursery to kids ministry to youth ministry to college ministry, and they can be 22, leaving college, and they've never been exposed to what it looks like to worship God with other people. They've never been exposed what it looks like to be in the fellowship of God's people on the Lord's Day. So we want to intentionally give opportunities to have children in worship at times that are appropriate, right? When we're singing, when we're praying, when we're confessing sin, so that our children can learn these habits. And I can say, uh, I'm just going to close on this, that when we really engage in this, we can see great fruit come from our children. I mentioned that I was uh, officiating a wedding this last weekend with uh, a family that uh, had a daughter that was in our youth group when we lived in Nashville. And during the rehearsal dinner, grandma got up and grandma was sharing a story about how Rebecca, the girl that we were marrying, came to faith in Jesus. And apparently what happened is their parents were just very intentional. Every night they would sing a song together. They would read something very simple about Jesus together. And then one night, Rebecca simply said to mom and dad, I want Jesus to live inside me. And so she asked, how do I do that? Mom and dad led her in a prayer, confessed her sins, asked Jesus to be her savior and the next day, Grandma came over, and the first thing that Rebecca did was run over to Grandma, cozy up into her lap, and say, Grandma, I'm a Christian. I want that for every child in this church. I want that for your family. And what God wants us to do is to be a community that disciples our children to love, to know, and to follow Jesus, the only Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you disciple us by your spirit, by drawing us to your son, Jesus Christ, who lived for us, who died for us, who sacrificed for us. God, you gave your only son, your child, to live in our place, to die in our place, so that we could have an eternal relationship with you, forgiveness of our sins so that you could cleanse the sin within us by your Holy Spirit. And God, we pray that as a church body, we would be very much intentional about also drawing our children to you, showing our children Jesus, giving them the tools and the resources that they need to walk a life in the path of your son, Jesus. And God, as we labor to do that, we pray that you would bring blessing to our church, that children would come to faith here, that children would know that they are loved by their Savior here and that they would grow up to be a godly generation who does not assume the gospel but embraces it. And we pray this all in the name of the one who saved us, who loved us, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.